0: This is the Swift by Sundell podcast, the show that answers your questions about Swift development. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for episode number 29 of this podcast. I'm your host, John Sundell, and with me here today is another fantastic guest, He is a developer at Framer, and he's the organizer of the Swift Island Conference. It's Nils van Horn. Welcome to the show, Nils.
1: Thank you. So excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's uh, really exciting to have you on. So uh, this episode is a little bit special, actually. I didn't tell you about this, but this is the very first time I am recording outside of my home office in Krakow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I have actually set up in my parents uh guest house. <laughs> I've turned it into a podcasting studio for the day.
1: Ooh. Wow. <laughs> so 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 where is that?
0: It's uh, on the west coast of uh, Sweden. It's uh, in the archipelago. So it's on a small little island. Uh, and they have like this little house where they, you know, just keep some stuff. Actually, mostly my stuff, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of put my microphone here and, you know, turned it into a little studio. So if it sounds different, that's why. So
1: if we hear closely, can we hear seagulls?
0: Maybe. Maybe there will be some seagulls on the show. That's going to be part of the experience. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you are also fairly close to water, right? You are on the west coast of, uh, of the Netherlands. Uh,
1: yes, yes, I'm in, uh, in Amsterdam currently. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's, that's where Framer offices is based, where I'm at now um, in our little studio that we built in the office uh, uh, when we moved in here.
0: That's amazing. So what's the reason
1: you have kind of a studio inside of the office? Like do you do a lot of recordings
0: <laughs> and stuff or is it just for
1: fun? No, well, no, we do we do uh, a lot of uh, videos, uh, like explainer videos of how to use Framer. And <laughs> this is a funny story. We we started doing them uh, at the other office too, but it was really hard to record stuff there. Well, so basically people re- would record at home with like a blanket under over over their heads to get some <laughs> some nice audio. So that's nice. how the first um, f- first f- uh, few uh, videos got recorded. And then we had it a couple of times in an actual studio. And when we moved to this office, we actually. Um, uh, decided to to build a studio in, so that's where we do it now.
0: Wow, that's really really cool. Yeah. So these are mostly like tutorial videos and things like that that you know exactly. how to use the product
1: and yes, yeah, that's yes. really cool. And then then also like the uh, marketing videos, stuff stuff like that that like basically explains the product to to people. And we wanted we like our go- goal is to do a lot more of those in the future. So that's why we actually invested uh, the time and money to to build the studio.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's, uh, it's really convenient for things like this as well, so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy that you have it. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Framer, uh, what's kind of the elevator pitch for those of you who might not know kind of what it is? It's a prototyping tool, but uh, it's a kind of special one in many ways. Like you don't just prototype using like images or things like that, but it's way mm-hmm. more kind of powerful and interactive. So uh, tell us a little bit about Framer.
1: Well, yeah. Well, that, it, that's actually a tricky question because there's basically two products now. One that is actually available to everyone, uh, which is called Framer, which is a design tool, uh, which is really powerful because uh, uh, you can use code to actually make your designs interactive. And then there's Framer X, which is uh, a new tool that we built based on all, all of our experience building Framer, uh, which is like the most uh, easy and the most advanced uh, ex- ex- uh, design tool um, because you can. Just just draw your designs like you like you would want to, um, but then also uh, have the power of code uh, at your uh, 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 disposal to, to use. But um, uh, because we built a store right into Framer and you can publish what uh, you built, you can actually um, uh, download other people's packages and you don't have to code yourself if you don't know yet
0: how. Oh, that's really cool. So you could, for example, like get from the store a like tab bar module or something like that, or like a card UI or, you know, collection view, things like this.
1: Yeah, exactly. And where like with with normal design tools or design tools that that are based like of pictures of interfaces, uh, you would only get like the visuals, but like if you get them from the Framer uh, Framer X store, they are actually live and you can actually like use them as like a toggle toggle and a slider slides.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. That's really cool. And another thing I love about Framer is the fact that, well, you can write code, right? You can write mm-hmm. JavaScript-based code, and you can exactly. build UIs that look like the real deal, right? Exactly. It's not only like static images, like you say. It's, you can have animation curves, and you can have transitions, and you can go between different screens. And that is, of course, you know, super powerful when you want to design something.
1: Yeah, it, ma- it makes it also uh, really useful for uh, for actually building prototypes that you use uh, to test your your stuff on f- uh, with actual users to do user testing because if you have something that looks like what is actually um, uh, uh, the real product, people will t- will don't have the. Um, Uh, The problem of needing to look through to, yeah, here is where you would normally see this and this and this, and then you would click on such and such button. They will just use the product and you'll get much better feedback on the actual stuff that you prototyped.
0: Right, yeah. And it's the classic uh, problem when you have these kind of prototypes and you do user testing where if you only have one path to the pro- through the product, like you mm-hmm. only have the success path, you're not really testing anything, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because exactly. you can only click like if you've seen some of these like, uh, you know, Flinto or Envision prototypes, mm-hmm. uh, they are basically like static images with certain touch targets. Exactly. But if you can only click like a handful of things, then you can't really use the product as intended, right?
1: Yeah, and and then you really have to guide your user through the, or the tester through the the product, basically. Like now you want to order this, or now you want to click on this button, and then the only thing that works is clicking on that. But with Framer, because, uh, well, everything is code, you can use real data. So you can populate an actual collection view or an actual uh, list of things that all are clickable and bring you to a detailed view of that actual thing.
0: Nice. So we're going to talk a lot about prototyping on this episode, as you might have guessed (laughs) and might realize. Uh, This is going to be all about prototyping, experimentation, learning new technologies, and how we as developers can help out with these kind of things, both in terms of kind of prototyping UIs and prototyping designs and things like this, but also like how we can do prototyping in code and, you know, more kind of different styles of prototyping as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but before we jump into that uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your experience organizing your very first conference Uh, because you just a couple of months ago you organized the Swift Island conference uh, which was a a pretty cool thing I'm very sad I couldn't make it yeah me too Uh, hopefully I'll be able to be there next year Uh, but uh, I heard so many good stories that it was so great so uh, tell us a little bit about Swift Island and kind of you know, why you chose to organize this conference. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I've been involved with organizing Cocoa Hats in the Netherlands. So a monthly meetup with uh, like about 50 people that like we have two presentations every uh, every month about like topics that people propose themselves. Um, and I like going to conferences a lot and like meeting a lot of people. Um, and usually when you are at a conference, you're sitting at a, in a chair and you're watching a talk and then you think, oh, this is amazing. I need to use this. But then, well, you you return home and then you think, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I really need to do this, but or I, I want to do this, but there is also work to be done, right? So it feels like you don't have the time to actually uh, uh, make use of all the stuff that you learn at a conference. And that's actually why Swift Alps was created, which is a different conference that has happened two times now already, uh, which is in the Swiss Alps. Um, and they they basically found out or they, they figured out a new format with workshops instead of talks. So instead of um, actually listening to someone explaining something and then not doing anything yourself, uh, there are slots of two hours in which you do workshops on a specific topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during a day, you can do three of of these workshops, and you have two days, so six six um, uh, workshops in total. And actually, the idea for Swift Island started on the train back from Swift Alps. Me and Sydney, uh, with uh, w- when we were organizing or when we um, uh, visited uh, Swift Alps, we were on the train back. And we really thought like, oh, this is this was so great and we really want something like this in the Netherlands. So we started like brainstorming like, hey, what kind of remote locations could we could we uh, organize it at? Because having it at Amsterdam is like, there are there are loads of conferences in Amsterdam. We want to show people like the rest of the Netherlands too. And uh, then we quickly, like in the train already decided that Tessel, uh, the island uh, uh, which is a little bit north of Amsterdam, uh, would be perfect for organizing this because like it is like um, uh, about two and a half, three Hours um, uh, transport transport to the island, so you you'll take a train and a bus and a boat and another bus, and then (laughs) you you arrive at the venue. Um, So it is pretty remote, but like still reachable in time if you're um, at the um, uh, if you're at the airport in time uh, the day before. So it isn't like a a full day of travel.
0: Right. Yeah. Having it at a remote location, I think, is really the key. Right. It's the same with the Swift Alps where you all kind of get together in one place, which is, you know, detached from, not from the rest of the world, obviously, it's not that remote, <laughs> but nope. it's like a little bit more free of distractions, but right?
1: It, it, it feels like that, right? Yeah. It's, it doesn't really matter how remote you are exactly, but like you are a couple of developers um, uh, in a specific space and uh, well, the, the, basically the only people to interact with are the people at the conference. Um, and the um, uh, we even like, we upped the game there a bit, uh, uh, from Swift Alps because Swift Alps was in this little remote ski resort village that was pretty deserted uh, at the time we were there um, but Swift Island was actually like everyone slept at the premises so there were mm. it's this bungalow park and hotel uh, where people like buying a ticket will also give you three nights of uh, accommodation there uh, so everyone just like went to bed and uh, woke up at the same place and then are, are uh, immediately ready at the conference basically nice um, so so yeah that, so that's 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 really cool, Um, and like we we still like to to continue the story about our our train ride back. Yeah, is that like we decided on the location, but then we wanted to have. Uh, or th- then we thought, like, yeah, the weather in the Netherlands is not always great, right? During summer times, that's that's good, um, but you don't want it be uh, in the winter. Well, we actually were in February at Tessel to to scout for locations, and actually the sea had frozen over, so there were these big ice chunks in the water, and it was really cold. And we well, we we were glad that the Swift Island wasn't happening then. So we decided <laughs> on, nice. uh, on on doing it during summer, but not when everyone is away. Um, so b- beginning of July would be the perfect perfect timing. And that coincides with uh, WWDC because that happens at the beginning of June. Right. Um, and uh, that actually made it click for us that like having a conference like just a little bit after WWDC, you will get the the um, the opportunity to uh, actually uh, use all the new stuff that is announced and try out all the new stuff that is announced at WWDC um, at Swift Island. That, that, that was basically our goal. So that's what we were set out to do.
0: Nice yeah I love when people get creative with conferences it's uh, it's so awesome I also visited Swift Aveiro uh, during the summer which is also kind of following the Swift Alps kind of format and I love to see these new conferences pop up in these like different places and with different kind of uh, focuses because like you mentioned like um, there is a lot of advantage to the kind of traditional, uh, conference format where you can you know see a lot of talks and it's a lot of fun you meet a lot of people but the advantage of these new conferences is that you can get a lot more hands on and I love to see that and I love to see like You know, some people, sometimes they say that conferences are going away, but I really don't (laughs) think so. I think quite the opposite. There is more and more conferences popping up all the time.
1: Yeah. And I I think like the value of a conference is um, like to your employer is not only what you learn there, but also the people you meet because you'll make connections and you'll um, uh, and and sometimes people forget that it's like I'm going to a conference to learn something. So I watched this talk about this topic because I need to need this in my work, right? But uh, sometimes you make connections that that are bigger than that, and that are actually uh, really useful because you can ask someone that is deep in some framework that uh, you don't know uh, too well, and you can ask them because you're having a, having a problem, right? And those resources or th- those people uh, uh, that you meet can be really valuable uh, uh, later on. And what we set out to do with Swift Island is create an environment where those interactions are actually um, uh, uh, encouraged.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Nice. So uh, now I think we should move on to our main topics and we want to start talking about prototyping. So I think this is going to be a very interesting because both of us, we kind of work in different environments. You work for like a product company, you build your own product, and it's all about, you know, design exploration and prototyping, which is really cool. And I do client work. So I think this is going to be interesting because I Probably we're going to use prototyping in in different kind of ways and from different angles, but also there's probably going to be a lot of similarities. So uh, Nils, why don't you kick it off? Like what does kind of prototyping mean to you and when you kind of do prototyping, what do you usually work with? Like, what does that usually mean when you have a day or half a day or something to do a prototype?
1: I think prototyping is a tool to um, actually figure out what you want to build before actually building it. Basically, it's, it's a, a, a mindset that you have of creating something uh, which basically says, this is not the final thing. I'm building this to eventually throw it away, um, which doesn't mean that you can't Use it later on, or that you can't use parts of it. But the intention of building it is not to use it in production, but to, um, it, it, it wouldn't be a waste if it is thrown away because you're just trying stuff out. Um, and um, uh, well, we built a prototyping tool, or we built a tool that is also really good for prototyping. Um, and um, it's like, it's interesting to, to think about it in that mindset because we do a lot of prototyping. Um, ourselves, of course, um, but sometimes we do it just in the actual code base. Right. Um, and that, that's, that's just like creating a branch and telling yourself, okay, uh, this is this is not the actual production code. I can take shortcuts here. It doesn't have to work for all the cases. I just want to know how, how this would work or how this would feel while actually using it. So some, sometimes or a lot of times, we actually pair up with a designer and then just start hacking something um, real quick in the actual app um, and then um, uh, uh, like letting, letting them use it for a bit and they're like, nah, no, it should be like this or you get a much better idea of how it, it should actually work and what, what the, the experience should actually be like if you're actually be able to play with it instead of imagining it out of a static image.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you mean that you're prototyping a prototyping tool? Yes. <laughs> That's very meta. I love that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's uh, very similar for me as well. Like, I look at prototyping as a way to cheaply and quickly kind of validate or invalidate ideas. Uh, those can be ideas for a new feature, a new UI, or even just like a code related idea. Let's say you have an idea for a refactor. Like, maybe I want to use Rx, or maybe I want to move this to like a closure based. API instead of a delegate-based API uh, by doing it in kind of a prototyping mindset, which, as you mentioned, is more about kind of telling yourself, like, I'm checking out this new branch, or I'm opening this new Xcode project, or I'm using a Swift Playground. And this is not necessarily going to be like the final version. This is going to be throwaway code is like the default. And you might reuse some of it, but uh, the default is like, let me free my kind of mind from a lot of constraints that we all have. Like it needs to be the perfect architecture. It needs to be elegant abstractions and things like that. And more focus on getting something done and trying something new out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really important to uh, just make that commitment uh, for yourself, saying, "Okay, this is this is me trying stuff out, right?" And I have to do. I don't have to do it right uh, now because that in, indeed frees up your mind to be creative, right? Yeah. To have have the creative. Um, uh, aspects not only when like creating a visual thing, but also to like if you're changing an architecture, you need to come up with that too, right? That's creativity there as well. Absolutely. So you need to 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 figure out how that works. And I mean, sometimes you just like you, you'll have a goal in mind of your you've seen something before, or you want to change a pattern, and then you can just follow the rules, right? You're, you're saying, oh yeah, I want to have a callback based API instead of a delegate pattern, so I'll just change from this to that, right? And then you're pretty certain of what what your beginning state is and what your end goal is, is, is going to be. So you probably don't need to prototype that or try if that works but if your code is really entangled and if, if like it's not a clean delegate pattern or there's just like a lot of uh, stuff stuff going on there then you it, it might be useful to just like say okay let, let me try it out if I if I would use a callback system here what what would that look like what are the problems that I encounter then and then you you'll figure out what those problems are and you maybe say like hey the, those callbacks those those can get messy and and I don't I don't want uh, like uh, I don't know the, the retain cycles that it uh, that it can that that, that it can uh, result in or something like that, right? Yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah, so so maybe, maybe that's not the right approach for this, and then you try something else.
0: Yeah, totally. And it's all about uh, trying something using kind of a more blank slate, right? Both yes. in terms of how you think about things, but also in the environment you work in. So that's why I love to use things like Playgrounds, for example, because it kind of forces you to just like start from scratch and just reimagine like, how could this look if I designed it fresh today? And um, then you could take some of those learnings and maybe not, you, you, you might not be able to take all of those ideas and apply them directly, but you might be able to use some of the things that you learned from doing that prototype.
1: Yeah, so you can basically see prototyping as a learning process, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's I mean, and and like it, it I think it's 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 good to have in mind what the goal for uh, building your prototype is, right? Because if you if you're just saying like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to write some code and see see what happens," right? That's that's cool, but that's probably not what you like that's probably not productive, right?
0: Right, yeah. And that kind of ties into the other kind of big question around prototyping, because we're talking now a lot about the advantages and, you know, you're learning, you Mm -hmm. can validate ideas quickly and you can, you know, figure out if something was wrong and things like that. But there's kind of a, sometimes a common idea around prototyping that it's kind of optional. It's sometimes a waste of time. It's not really valuable because you can just code and figure it out as you go. So I know that you do a lot of prototyping, of course, and it's kind of in your team culture. So how would you kind of answer that concern or that question? Like, why do you use prototyping and why do you think it's valuable?
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a difficult question for me to answer because I think, like, it's, of course, it's valuable because I've seen it work, right? Yeah. But I can like, I can't imagine, like, if you're, uh, well, for example, with Framer, right? Framer, as it currently is, is, um, uh, well, you, to, to make stuff interactive, you're writing code. And we're we're expecting designers to actually write code to build their prototypes. And uh, this is weird for them because they're like, yeah, but i have engineers right to to do <laughs> the, to, to to write the code why should i write the code and if i write the code can my engineers write it too or do they have to rewrite it or how, how does that work right isn't this isn't this double work that's basically the, the premise of that right so exactly. if 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 you're you're prototyping and you're 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 saying i'm throwing stuff away which is like a, has a negative connotation right because um uh, it feels like you're you're you've you've just created something of value and then not using it but but the actual the, the using it is actually uh the testing of of the prototype that you that you build right that is the value that it provides and not everything like uh that you that you create has to be the end product and because you have the uh the ability to say um, uh, uh, this this isn't the end product. You can take shortcuts that you otherwise couldn't, and I think that's the most important part. That you because you are able to uh, take shortcuts, you can get eas- easier and uh, quicker to something where you can validate or invalidate a specific idea. So imagine like you've you've uh, gotten a design from a uh, f- for a specific feature, and then you build the complete feature, and then you're 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 uh, you're using it, and then actually thinking like yeah, but this actually doesn't work work as I, I would want to, I, we, we need to change this, right? you probably just end up shipping that because there went a lot of work already in like building that um, while you actually already know that it's not the best way to to handle a specific case. Yeah. And if you've built a prototype earlier, then you would easily uh, or, or more easy get to the stage where you're like, okay, maybe this idea isn't the best uh, one, let's try another one because you have the time and the, the, the resources to try another one because you didn't spend the time like actually building it for the for the whole time, so I think because you're eliminating uh, uh, bad ideas quicker, you're actually adding uh, uh, value and maybe even uh, quickening the, uh, the the development process.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and this is uh, what I usually kind of use as a pitch to my customers as well, which is you don't want me to use all of my time, all of my hours, and all of the budget on building something that we are not going to ship, right? So instead, let me use a small amount of that time and that budget to actually build something that we can use to validate this idea. And I treat kind of all my work this way uh, when I get a task to implement something like push notifications, which doesn't have anything to do with the UI, at least not like Mm -hmm. UI of the app. Um, I still use prototyping, like I can use things like mind maps to kind of draw out where, okay, so here is like my push notification manager, it's going to talk to this like system API here, and I'm going to use a protocol here. And by drawing that out, I can also eliminate a lot of Kind of quote unquote bad ideas or pitfalls that I would fall into uh, before I've even started coding. And that way I spend a little bit of time, maybe like half an hour, one hour on drawing this stuff out. And I will save lots of hours that I would maybe otherwise have wasted going down kind of the wrong code path.
1: And you call this prototyping now um, but like, like in a in, from a more traditional perspective, this is just software architecture design. Exactly. Right? Yeah. This is just like thinking what you're going to build before actually building it is actually design, right? But then is. architecture design, and and I mean that has been around for ages, and people accept that. Um, and um, uh, like by calling it prototyping is just putting a different sticker on it, right? It's not. It's not that different.
0: It is. And I think that this is something in general in the kind of iOS community that has sometimes gotten a little bit lost, Uh, and I'm actually giving a series of conference talks this fall called The Lost Art of System Design, (laughs) because it's going to be all about that, where I feel like, myself included, and I know that a lot of people, we are so eager, right? Right? Like, we get a task, we get a design, and we're like, yeah, let's build this, it's going to be awesome.
1: Let's fire up Xcode and build it, right?
0: Exactly, and we just build it, and that's, you know, it can have uh, advantages to work this way, but Uh, A lot of the times, like taking a step back first, even if you are really excited to kind of try to uh, look at this idea from a different perspective can be very, very valuable.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: Cool. So you mentioned earlier that you sometimes pair up like one designer and one developer to kind of build a prototype together. So how do you think that prototyping can increase uh, developer designer collaboration? Because I know that a lot of teams kind of struggle with this. Like they might not have the best collaboration between their designers and their developers. And there's a lot of kind of handoff going on and a lot of, you know, arguments back and forth. So how do you usually deal with this and how do you think prototyping can be a good, good tool in this sense?
1: Like we talked about prototyping as being a tool for you or for your testers to or for, for you to figure out what you want before you're actually building it right but apart from that, prototypes can also be a communication tool because if you if you get static designs or if you get like a description of how a feature should work then it uh it it tries to communicate like what you want to build right Mm -hmm. and with a prototype it makes it clear for both the person creating the prototype but also for the person like actually needing to build it what is the feature and how it's supposed to work and by by defining that in in a tool that's actually really close to the end product, uh, you're really clear about that communication. Um, and well, what, what, like usually, where the c- communication and the collaboration between designers and developers goes wrong is where the, someone means something and s- someone interprets it differently, and then builds it right. Yeah. And then you spend a lot of time building the wrong thing, uh, maybe. And that's like that's wasted time. And then you need to course correct, and you need to like figure out how to how to fix it. Um, and by Actually, using your your prototypes or whatever your 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 stuff that you built because you're tr- you're trying out what you want to build um, as a communication tool too, um, you're sure on the same you're sure you're on the same page before you're actually starting uh, to write the, the, the production level code.
0: Yeah, that's a really really good point, and I think there's so many kind of nuances usually when you design something and then implement it. Like there's things like animation curves, there's interactions and. Yeah, like you say, there's a lot of room for kind of misinterpretation.
1: I think it's also like um, so. So there is like the communication of okay, this is how it's supposed to work, and then there are, there are the details, right? Of like how many pixels this does this need to move, or what's the exact curve that this is um, uh, uh, this, that this needs to animate with, right? Yeah, exactly. And by using a, a tool uh, that actually um, uh, lets you code up these uh, uh, these interactions it the designer al- already writes them down in a in a way that is actually uh, familiar to the developer right and that improves their communication yeah. and that that I mean that requires the designers to lear, learn a little bit of skill uh, uh, that they might be not as familiar with but the, it improves the the communication a lot
0: Yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. So I think that good designer developer collaboration, like one really key component is overlap. So you want to generate as much overlap as possible between the developer world and the designer world. And it doesn't mean that we want to turn all the designers into developers or all the developers into designers. That's not the point. But the point is to instead of having these very clean cuts where your designer like exports all the PNGs from Sketch, gives them to you as the developer, you as the developer just takes them and builds the code, And there's not really any need for you to talk to each other and that's a problem because uh, then you end up with these misunderstandings and and things go wrong. So if you generate a little bit more overlap, like for example, you know, designers learning how to use tools like Framer or learning how to prototype things using like web technologies or going into Xcode maybe and tweaking an interface builder file or something like that, and then us as developers learning like how does the basics of Sketch work? Can I export my own assets? And can I change some of the constraints in Sketch and things like that? Because once you start doing this kind of overlap you'll be surprised of actually how much these two disciplines have in common. For example, now, especially with like these modern tools, you have things like Framer, which is, you know, code-based. And even in tools like Sketch, you actually have like constraint-based layouts. So if you're used to auto layouts, then it's like, it's almost the same thing. And I think that's very eye-opening.
1: Yeah, and that's actually where uh, Framer X also uh, shines because like we already built a tool based on layouts because like m- most designs uh, these days aren't for one specific screen size, right? Uh, right. And you can't like pixel perfect them or well, you can like make them pixel perfect for every screen, but then like a developer is not gonna gonna make three apps for di- three different screens, right? He wanna wants to write a code that adapts to the screen screen that, that the current app is running on, right? So if you have tools that already express uh, the way the layout should adapt to different uh, sizes, um, uh, if you hand them to designers, you actually get a, a, a product or like a, something that will Um, uh, will be much easier to implement because the designer already thought about what will happen if we change the size of this browser window or what will happen if we run it on uh, an iPhone SE or an iPhone uh, uh, 8 Plus.
0: Exactly, yeah. All right, next up, we want to talk about experimentation. But before we do, let's take a very quick break and thank this episode's sponsor. It's a brand new sponsor, which I'm really excited about, and it's my good friends at AppSpectre. App Spectre is a brand new developer tool that lets you inspect your iOS, Android, or tvOS app completely remotely. You know how sometimes you'll get a report from one of your testers that something isn't working as expected, and it can be really tricky to figure out why without having to add like excessive logging or having physical access to that device. And this is exactly what App Spectre is for. With AppSpectre, you can inspect many different aspects of a running instance of your app without being connected to it through Xcode. You can read logs, you can inspect network requests, you can see what NS notifications that were broadcasted across the app, you can debug your SQLite or Core Data database, and you can even mock the location of a device, and you can do all of this completely remotely. You can connect to a device even if it's in a completely different city or even on the other side of the globe. You just include the AppSpector SDK in your app when you distribute it to your team, your testers or your customers, and then when you want to inspect something, you just launch the AppSpector web UI and it's all there in real time. They even have this screenshotting feature where you can take a snapshot of the real app running right now on your tester's device, which is super useful for debugging UI glitches. I think this has the potential of becoming another one of those must-have developer tools. And the awesome thing is that this team, they're just getting started. They're going to add so many cool new features like Realm, user defaults and file system debugging, as well as a dedicated Mac app in the near future. So if you're excited about this, just as I am, go to appspectorcom slash sundell. That lets you sign up and get started completely for free. And make sure to check out this tool because I think it's really, really cool. So once again, that's appspector.com slash Sundell to get started with remote debugging and inspection of your app for free. Thank you so much to App for sponsoring this show and for helping me to make Swift by Sundell possible. So we've been talking now about prototyping kind of from the validating ideas or when you already have something in mind that you want to build and kind of building a simpler version of it. But there's also kind of the experimentation angle when you want to try something completely new that could be like a brand new coding style that could be like a new framework or it could be like a new feature for an app you want to experiment and try something crazy and something new. So I uh, How do you use experimentation in this kind of way? And how does it relate to prototyping for Unils?
1: So I think there's two different things here. I think there's like you wanting to learn a new framework or figuring out how something works, right? And for me, for example, this was the case with um, ARKit, uh, where I just, I was excited by the technology and I just wanted to build something with it, just wanted to know how it worked, Right. right? And... I wouldn't really call that prototyping. That's just like fiddling around, right? Yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's, 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 it's just <laughs> ex- experimenting with new stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, but like... Uh, well, ARKit isn't a good example there, but, like, for example, uh, RX Swift or um, uh, Async Display Kit, those are technologies that you might want to, like, experiment with or build something small in or, like, do their uh, uh, demo, uh, create their demo project or something like that just to see if it is a technology that you, that you actually want to use for something uh, uh, that you're working on, right? right? So there's also validating new technologies for your... Um, uh, for your actual work, um, and I, 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 I think that's just called experimentation. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to call it, but it's just like ha- having fun and figuring out this new stuff. And we tend, as as developers, if there's new stuff out, we also always want the latest version, right? Or we always want to to figure out if this this new hip thing is something that we really want to use. Um, and by just slapping it into your current project, you might uh, not have overthought that uh, decision or thought that decision really through, right? Yeah. You're just like, I want to use this, so I'm now going to add it, and then we're using it, right? Hype-driven and...
0: development. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so so I think it's better to just then start, like, or maybe just create a branch if, in your current, if, if you want to know how it uh, works in, uh, in your current product, like create a branch and then try it out there, or just create a new project because usually Um, you'll 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 only find out like the the bad parts if you're actually trying to build something that's closer to uh, something you have in production right if you just follow their demos it's it's going to be an easy path and you're like oh this is amazing and then you make the decision try it out uh, in the in, in the real world scenario and then suddenly you you run into these problems that that didn't come up before.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because the key to learning something new or experimenting, you know, trying out some new technology is not really to learn like the happy path, like the perfect use case where it all shines, like the demo project or the readme code sample. It's figuring out and learning about the trade offs. Because as we know, all technologies, they have trade offs and they have things that they are optimized for. And you know, when integrating something into a real project and shipping it in production, you want to know really, really well kind of what those trade offs are so that you're prepared for if something goes wrong or if you hit some kind of, you paint yourself into some corner to kind of avoid that uh, by learning about the trade offs early on so that you can kind of have that in your mindset as you. As you are hyped and as you as you want to use this everywhere, you kind of hold yourself back a little bit and you're like, okay, I love Rx, it's great, but maybe I don't have to use it for my about screen, right? Or maybe I don't have to use it for the simple screen that only renders a couple of labels, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and I, I think this, this ties back to conferences and, and conference talks as well, because usually when you're at a conference learning about a new technology, you're only seeing the good parts, right? Because right. like people are like, oh, this is amazing. I I, I want to tell you how great this thing is. And then usually they have some caveats or they show some stuff like, hey, and it wasn't good in, in these respects, right? But they are not the one making the decision, right? You need to make that decision based on your own use case. Um, and And for that, the only way to do that is trying it out yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when you do kind of experimentation at Framer, like, do you have some, like, do you do some experimentation days? Or do you just have it like integrated into your workflow? Or like, how do you come up with new ideas for the product or new ideas for the code base? Like, how does that usually work?
1: The way it usually works is someone has an idea and then builds it
0: simple enough <laughs> so,
1: yeah. so and then and then tries to convince other people to uh, uh to actually implement that so usually it it happens with a pr- prototype or a design in framer that is like interactive in the way that 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 exposes the new uh the new idea uh sometimes it's just like a technical idea it's like okay but we we probably should use Um, uh, uh, I don't know, this framework or this uh, 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 tooling for a specific problem um and then well like we we don't have like a formal process or or of saying like okay uh, uh we have this day and everyone creates three prototypes now and we'll pick the best one it's just like uh, a kind of an organic process in uh, uh people come up with stuff all the time because like we're excited about the product um and that can be um uh, uh engineers or develop or designers that that doesn't really uh really matter we we actually think that everyone should um uh, know and work on what the product is actually going to uh, going to look like and how it's going to work instead of like designers creating the uh, uh, the design and then throwing it off to the to the engineers that then can build it right uh, we, we just like uh, we, we just come up with ideas all the times and we, we expect uh, engineers also to think about like how it's how something is going to work instead of just uh, implementing it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a sign of a healthy culture. Again, with the overlap and you are kind of living in each other's worlds a little bit and everyone cares about the kind of end result. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I know that there's a lot of teams, like we also mentioned earlier, where there's like a more, there are more like clean cuts between the different departments or the different teams. Like you will have designers working on design stuff and there might be like a hack day or an innovation day or something where you are you know, getting together and working on something together. But if you want to give some tips on how to kind of um, get more towards this kind of experiment workflow where you incorporate that into your workflows, because I use that a lot as well, both personally and with the different projects I work on and the clients I work with. So usually when I work uh, with a new client that is not kind of using experimentation a lot and is not, they have more like a set idea of where they want to go and they, they might just you know be used to that way of working like we make a plan and then we just execute on the plan uh one way that i try to to do that is to just like dedicate some time during the week and that could just be like you know a couple of hours maybe on like a friday before everyone goes off on uh, on holiday or on on the on the weekend and just to kind of get something on the schedule like okay let's try to do a little bit of prototyping here a little bit of experimentation here try out something new and you know it doesn't have to be something revolutionary like a new brand new feature in the app it can just be like I always wanted this part of the code base to be tested, or I always wanted this API to be cleaner. Let me experiment with that for a couple of hours and see how what I can what I can do. And I think like trying to do that, like getting everyone involved, it kind of also shows very clearly the value of these kind of things. And the key component for me is that at the end of the day, like at the end of this kind of experimentation or prototyping session, you do some demos. So everyone kind of shows off a little bit what they did. and. It's completely fine to do like a code demo or a command line demo or or whatever. It doesn't have to be again something visual or mind blowing or cool. Uh, it can just be like a little tweak. So that's usually how I go about these kind of things.
1: Yeah, yeah, that su- sounds good. Um, I think it's also um, uh, like getting like seeing that kind of work as actual work instead yeah. of just like having uh, uh, like than it being measured in commits or tickets closed or whatever, like right. it's 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 really important to 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 realize and to accept that this is a creative process that is actually that requires some of this uh, uh, experimentation or prototyping to actually be better in the product, right? Uh, so, so you you're creating a better product because of it. So you need to see these uh, these steps as actual work as well.
0: Yeah, totally agree. All right, so we uh, touched on it a little bit before about learning new technologies and how kind of both experimentation and prototyping can be a learning tool. Uh, but I want to talk to you a little bit more specifically about learning new technologies. So uh, recently you dove into ARKit and you learned that kind of, you know, from scratch and you wanted to learn more about it. So how was that process for you and kind of what tips do you have to people like when it comes to how to learn brand new technologies?
1: It really depends, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a classic answer. It depends. Okay, next so, question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I
1: mean, um, okay. For for example, with ARKit. Um, uh, I think it's it's good to keep in mind or to to decide for yourself. Why do I want to learn this new thing, right? Why, why is this something I want to learn? What's the is goal? This, what's the goal? Is is this a new skill I want to want to want to acquire? Is this just something I want to have fun with? Is this something I want to use in a product later? Is this something I want to put on my CV or something like that, right? It's 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 it depends on 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 what your goal is. And for me, for ARKit, it's just like, it looked cool, I want to try try it out, right? That's a great reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no uh, intention whatsoever of building an AR app or like, like currently Framer is not an AR pr- prototyping tool. It might be in the future, but like currently it's not a useful skill to have, but it's just like to see what it was like um and then like a second goal i had that i didn't define clearly in the beginning was maybe i can give a talk about this right or maybe right. i can 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 do a a workshop about it um and uh, those two coincided a bit right i also always wanted to 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 learn uh, or to to dive into arkit just for fun um and then Uh, Swift Alps actually came around and was like, Hey, do you want to do a workshop? And I was like, okay, I want to learn this thing. I have uh, the opportunity to teach this thing to people. Let's Take this opportunity to learn it, right? But it also meant that I I was just like working towards like an, a, a high level overview of what what it was like what it was like to build something in it to be able to give a workshop about uh, that topic, right? And to be able to assist people in uh, in in building stuff in AR. Um, so so I mean it, it's it's always like time is really limited so it's always important to know what you are doing and why you are doing it and if you can combine like these two things then well that that's that's really nice
0: yeah yeah that's a really really good tip and I also always try to have a goal with whatever I do. And it might something sometimes sound a little bit silly, like, why do I have to set up goals for everything? <laughs> but it really, like, keeps you focused, I think. And it also kind of sets some constraints on what you're trying to do. So you're not trying to learn, like, in your case, about, you know, everything, you know, there is. Or I'm not try, trying to, like, learn the most advanced use case to ship this complicated app. I'm just kind of, you know, learning the concepts and I'm learning the high level high-level stuff. Yeah, and I think that can be really, really helpful.
1: Yeah, and I, and uh, it's acceptable to have as a goal. I want just to try this out, right? It doesn't yeah, need absolutely. to fulfill a purpose uh, 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 always. It just it just can be okay. I, I just want to try this thing because it's fun. Yeah,
0: and I think the key word here is try, right? Like for me, learning is trying. Like it's this classic saying like learning by doing, Uh but for me it's like, it's really true. And again, it doesn't have to be like in a real app you're shipping. So even if you're working in a company and you're building an app, like let's say you're working on like a banking app or something, it might not be that you're using machine learning and AR and (laughs) all these new cool stuff. And that's fine, you know? It's like you can build something that is throwaway code or that is just a hobby project or that is something like a side thing and use this cool new technology there and that's that's really valuable as well. I probably throw away like 90% of the code I write <laughs> or something, and it might sound like I'm a bad programmer or like it's <laughs> negative, but it's just because I lear- I'm, I'm learning so many new things all the time, and I'm trying right. things out, I'm experimenting, and I'm using Swift Playgrounds like mm-hmm. a lot, so yeah. almost every single day I fire up a Playground, I try something new, whether that is like I want to try a new language feature or I want to try a new framework. Uh, I also have this tool uh, called the Test Drive, which is on my GitHub, and I'll put a link in the show notes, where you can just try a CocoaPod. So I might want to try just a framework, right? And I just run this tool, I try it out for a little while, see if it's something that I like, and then I might put it in the app.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also good to realize that, like, uh, being developers, like the only, like, our, our industry moves insanely fast, right? Because every yeah. year, well, if, if you just take Apple, for example, but this holds for, for everything, like, every year, Apple announces a lot of new stuff. And we are uh, assumed to keep up with that stuff to be able to use it to, to, to the max, right? To to be able yeah. to actually uh, use it. So you can't be a good developer without being constantly learning, and um, uh, uh, you can also see like trying this new stuff out as just flexing your learning muscle, right? Just mm, like yeah. uh, know know that you're still capable of, of picking something up quickly, um, and w- even when you're just like uh, uh, using a new SDK or using a, a new uh, uh, framework that's built in, um, that you're you're just looking up the docs and seeing how that works, and that like that that might be not not be a one off, right? That might be you learning how to how to do this so you can do it again
0: yeah absolutely and i think also learning and having this like student mindset of always like trying out new things is a great way to kind of prevent yourself kind of again, painting yourself into like a corner because sometimes what I hear is that people tell me that, oh, you know, I inherited this code base and it was written by a Java developer and Mm -hmm. everything is like Java or everything is like .net or whatever. And I think these things happen when you have this like very strongly kind of um, view, you have a very strong view about kind of how you work and what kind of abstractions you like and and what kind of tools you use. And of course, it's important to have those opinions as well and to know what you like, but I think it's also important to be very flexible because we need to, especially working with iOS and these new platforms, mm-hmm. it's changing all the time. Exactly. And new frameworks come out, new techniques come out, and there's rumors that, you know, next year there will be a new UI framework mm-hmm. for Apple's platforms, etc. So having this kind of like more flexible mindset and try Trying out new things, I think it's it's really really valuable.
1: Yeah, I'm already looking forward to next year's Swift Island.
0: Oh yeah, I think I think we all are. <laughs> nice. All right. So, what do you say? Should we round off this episode by answering some questions from the audience? Yeah, sure. All right. So we have our first question here. It comes from Francisco Amado. And he wants to know kind of what tools that we use to build prototypes. Do we have a setup already for those cases like utility frameworks, bootstrap projects, etc. So I guess you use Framer a lot for building your prototypes. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, but like, I mean, depends on how you define prototype, right? Because like, yes, for, for visual interactive designs, we only use Framer because we think it's the best tool and also like dogfooding is a great practice while working on a design tool or when working on anything absolutely um, so our ability to dogfood Framer is, is actually improving the product too and um, and so, if you if you want to try something out, uh, for example, uh, a, a new React framework or a new uh, a CocoaPod or, or or something like that, you can first like look into tools that that makes it easy for you, like you mentioned, Test Drive, or uh, uh, th- there are people that have already set up like GitHub repositories with uh, some 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 build up uh, uh, build up modules already installed or stuff stuff like that, right? And yeah. then you can can hit the ground running when 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 trying stuff, but like. I can't pinpoint you to specific examples of that because they differ per use case. So, but know that, that these kind of things exist and maybe creating your own uh, Xcode project and then creating, like adding a Cocoa Pot manually to it might not be the, the quickest way to test stuff out.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right that it all depends on kind of what you want to prototype. So I think it's important to have kind of many tools in your tool belt, like always, so that you are flexible, you know, depending on what you want to build. So for me, like code-related prototypes, it's almost always done in Swift Playgrounds. Like I love the fact that you have this more fast and quick and interactive uh, programming environment and you can try UIs out, you can code things and you can see the results. So Swift Playgrounds is usually my go-to tool for... Uh, Code related prototypes. Uh, I also love using tools like uh, Framer or Sketch, even like we mentioned earlier, with setting up constraints and stuff. If you want to try uh, just using visual things, uh, but also I know we talked a little bit about like how things like Envision or Flinto might not be like the most interactive or rich uh, tool in that sense, but they can also be really valuable if you want to just test out like a. static set of screens, or you might want to help your designer, like set something like that up so that you can get a feel for how the UI just looks like on a phone, even if it's static and it's kind of quick. And one thing that I mentioned, I did a talk about prototyping in Barcelona just a couple of weeks ago, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And one thing that I mentioned there was minimum viable prototypes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So kind of a, a slightly different definition of the MVP kind of letter combination. And one thing I mentioned there was using things like HTML to actually just prototype like a hierarchy. So for example, if you want to experiment with like a new navigation structure for an app, you can just set up like a series of HTML pages that link to each other. And then that, that way you can kind of click through and just see the kind of like what the hierarchy looks like in a kind of visual sense. Yeah. So I think it's, it's important to have like all of these tools at your disposal and using them kind of for what makes sense the most for the task that you want to, yeah, the task that you want to do. All right, our next question comes from Julio, and Julio is actually asking a little bit more about tools. So he asks, creating my own tools is probably the most important part of my workflow. What could be a good way to make tool creation a part of the culture of the places where I collaborate? So this is another kind of point that I brought up in my prototyping talk. The fact that creating tools to kind of lower the barrier for entry is a great way to kind of get more people into prototyping. So rather than having to do the same boilerplate over and over again, if we can automate some of these things, it usually leads to more prototypes and kind of more creativity because you're not stuck setting up like a hundred different dependencies. So do you usually create like your own developer tools, your own automation and things like that in order to kind of... Uh, speed up your prototyping process, Nils.
1: Yes, we we do a lot of uh, stuff like even like running our CI or, or, or or like I mean we have a lot of automation uh, at, at at Framer, um, and well obviously like we like when we think we can do a better job in building a tool for prototypes, we build it in Framer. Um, <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> um, but I think it's it's uh, it's a really important point that he makes that like building tools is also something that can be really valuable. Yes. Yeah, so so I think it's important to weigh the pros and cons there, because like how many how, how how many time are you spending on creating the tool and how much that tool is actually used, um, and uh, if you if you can find the right balance there, you you might uh, tip over to like it actually makes makes sense to spend a day working on this thing because then like uh, my whole team can st- get started with this thing I want them to do like ten times faster, right? So I I, I actually win that time back by creating. Creating this tool Um, but sometimes like as a developer you can really dive into like creating the perfect tool for this job that you have and you might not reuse it or you might might not be able to create something that is really reusable so you you need to need to be careful there to what you spend your time on
0: yeah i think pragmatism is really the key here and also like when you are building tools uh I think getting something that works is kind of more important than having like a perfect structure or the perfect architecture, because a lot of the times these tools are things that you're kind of throwing together a little bit more quick and dirty to kind of help you save time. So the elegance of that code itself is not really the end goal, or rather it's more like a way for you to just like quickly getting time back. So to give you a very concrete example, like along the lines of the question here, like how you kind of convince people that this is valuable. And I think showing rather than telling is the key also here. So for example, at Spotify, uh, me and some of my teammates, we had this idea like we are already downloading JSON from the server uh, to kind of get all the content that we need to render. What if we could actually make the JSON also tell us kind of how we should display that content. So we could just download the JSON file and then just render it directly and have this like backend driven UI architecture. Uh, But that wasn't something that we could just go to someone and say, we're going to build this. It's going to take six months. (laughs) You know, no one would sign off Mm -hmm. on that. So, again, it's like we built a prototype and uh, we built a tool, like a very simple version of that tool that actually enabled you to have a local JSON file, change something in it, save the file, and it would instantly update the app. So you would have this like almost hot reloading, like live coding pretty much, but using JSON. And we just showed this to some of the product people. And we're like, look at this stuff. Like, you can iterate on UIs like in seconds. And after that, we got the time to build a tool, you know, like to build a proper version of it. So I think that is a, that is like a key thing where, you know, if you're able to show the value in a, in a simpler way using like either a prototype or just a, like an initial you know, 0.1 version of that tool, uh, it becomes easier to get kind of people into this mindset of, okay, building tools is actually really valuable because just like with prototypes is spending a little bit of time to save a lot of time.
1: Exactly. And I think it's also um, like starting small here is the key. So if you think like, hey, I've done this three times now, maybe I should um, uh, create something to automate this, right? Uh, Then you should like take the time that it takes times maybe three, and then try to 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 improve that step, right? And in in a way, test driven development is also like defining what you want and then uh, uh, building along those lines, right? And you're actually writing uh, uh, something because you don't want to test by hand if if something works as expected.
0: Yeah, it's uh, exactly the same mindset. It's it's literally like making an investment, you know, a time-wise investment. is like, instead of building up tech debt and loaning from the bank, we are investing, right? It's the opposite. Like we're putting <laughs> in some more time up front to gain more time later. All right. Awesome. So we're now coming to the end of this episode. So oh, all already? that remains. Yeah. You know, time <laughs> flies when <laughs> when you're having fun, right? <laughs>
1: sure.
0: Yeah. So uh, Nils, this has been a blast. Uh, I love to do Thank these you. episodes sometimes when we focus on something more specific and we talk about something that is maybe not like super related to like different frameworks or architecture or coding patterns, but more like, you know, bigger picture and this, for me, was, was very, very inspiring. So thank you so much for uh, being my guest on this episode.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So uh, if you want to check your work out, uh, if people want to download Framer first, like where should they go to get Framer?
1: Well, just framer.com. That's easy. Um, and if they want to find me, they can find me uh, at Twitter at NVH and on GitHub also at NVH. And if they want to uh, check out Swift Island, uh, they go to swiftisland.nl. Perfect. All easy
0: URLs, all easy handles. Like yes. you, You've got it covered. That's perfect. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter. I am at John Sundell. You can find everything about this show and all of the weekly Swift articles at swiftbysundell.com. Once again, thanks a lot to AppSpectre for sponsoring this episode. Make sure to check them out at appspectre.com slash And thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I'll talk to you on the next episode.